This series that we're doing on God the Spirit is good news, isn't it? The Holy Spirit has come. God the Father has done just as he had promised, and he has poured out his Spirit on his people. And the Lord Jesus has kept his promise, which was to send the Spirit. He has been faithful. He who died for the forgiveness of sins rose from the dead, and then returned to glory at the right hand of God the Father, has kept his promise, and has sent the Holy Spirit. The gift of the Spirit at Pentecost, recorded for us in Acts chapter 2 then, is the baptism of the Spirit. It is the beginning of life under the new covenant. And it's the Holy Spirit who activates this new covenant relationship with God. God himself is now present through his spirit in a new and profound way here with us, with his people. And it is the Holy Spirit's presence really that marks our age or our era as the last days, the final phase in God's program. And so with this new covenant now, activated by the Holy Spirit, we identified that one of the broad categories of the Holy Spirit's work is to restore us to a right relationship with God. And we talk about restoration because of Adam and Eve's sin, we as human beings start life off in a broken relationship with God. That's what the scriptures teach. So no matter how much we might think we're okay with God, until we have come to him and trusted in Christ for salvation and received the Holy Spirit, we are not okay with God. We have a broken relationship. It is the Holy Spirit who restores that relationship to God. How does he do that? Let's pray and we will take a look at the scriptures. Lord, be with us today as we pour over these precious words, words that you have recorded for us through your apostles and prophets, and Lord, that you still today use to transform our thinking and our lives. And I pray that we would be faithful to build our lives on these truths. In your name we ask these things. Amen. First of all, the Holy Spirit restores us to a right relationship with God by revealing the gospel. By revealing the gospel. The Holy Spirit reveals the content of the gospel through its proclamation. And it is the Holy Spirit who reveals the truthfulness of the gospel to the hearer. In other words, it is the Holy Spirit who orchestrates your salvation, your conversion, and mine. The Holy Spirit reveals the gospel. He empowers the preaching of the gospel, and he works to convict the hearts of the hearers of that gospel, enabling them to receive that gospel by faith. The Holy Spirit does all of that. We know from both the Old Testament and the New Testament that it is the Spirit of God who reveals the mind of God and the will of God, and that he does this through prophecies, both 
written prophecies and spoken prophecies. For example, I will take you back to Nehemiah chapter 9, verse 30, where Nehemiah writes, as he's actually praying to the Lord, and he says, Many years you bore with them, the nation of Israel. By your spirit, through your prophets, you bore with them and warned them, he says. By your spirit, through your prophets, yet they would not give ear, therefore you gave them into the hand of the peoples of the lands. That's how God warned. That's how God communicated his will to his people, by his spirit, through the prophets. The apostle Peter tells us in 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 21, that no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit carries the writers of Scripture and makes sure, superintends their record of God's will and God's mind and God's words. So it is with the Spirit's coming that he reveals the gospel first to Jesus' apostles and secondly then through their proclamation of the gospel. Peter brings all of this together for us in his first letter, 1 Peter chapter 1, beginning in verse 10. Look at what Peter says here. Concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. Now, let's just pause for a second here. The prophets, Peter's looking back at the Old Testament scriptures, and he's saying the prophets prophesied things that they themselves did not understand, that they were, they were explaining or revealing truths that transcended even their own capacity to understand what they were saying. But it was, and Peter even identifies it, not as the Spirit of God, or God the Spirit, but the Spirit of Christ. This is the Holy Spirit. And the reason he calls him the, the uh, Spirit of Christ here is because he is testifying through the prophets about the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. They didn't have all of the pieces to the puzzle, who this Messiah would be. Uh, what all he would accomplish and do, how it was that he would suffer, and how it, would, how it was that he would also be glorified. But, verse 12, it was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves, but you in the things that have now been announced to you through those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven things into which angels long to look. So it's revealed to them that the purpose of their prophetic words is not for themselves. How do they know this? Their prophetic words are not for themselves. They are for us. How can that be? Because they weren't supposed to be able to figure it out. Their prophetic words are for us after it's happened to go back and look and go, wow, God revealed this way before it ever happened. 
And the fact that Jesus died, the Messiah, the King, died on a cross wasn't an accident. It wasn't outside of God's will. It was all part of the purpose and plan. And look, you can go back to what the prophets say in the Old Testament scriptures, and that's exactly what they said. Everything is fulfilled. God spoke through them, and God kept his promises. The Holy Spirit then, sent from heaven, has announced the good news to you, the gospel, and empowered its preaching. The Holy Spirit who was sent from heaven. When that happened, Acts chapter 2, where he was poured out, the baptism with the Spirit. Now listen to the Apostle Paul's own testimony in Ephesians chapter 3, beginning in verse 2. Assuming that you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you, how the mystery was made known to me by revelation, as I have written briefly. When you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations, as it has been now revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. This mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Of this gospel, I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given me by the working of his power. So here, the Apostle Paul and the apostles, he's we, perceive the gospel they have received the gospel as revelation from the Spirit. And they proclaim the gospel because it and its meaning have been revealed by the Spirit to them and is the proof when the Spirit exerts power through their proclamation, it is proof that this gospel is from God when they make this mystery known to people. But this brings us to a dilemma. Because you and I, by our own ingenuity, by our own powers of reason, our own powers of perception, our own intelligence, we can never comprehend this gospel. Even if it's revealed to the apostles and prophets, we do not have the capacity to ever see the truth of it. To be able to take the gospel and assess it as something that is true, that is from God. We can never see a Messiah who claims to be the Son of God and is crucified to save somebody as good as I am. Do you see, we can never get to the gospel. And once again, it is the Holy Spirit who rescues us, rescues us from our own blindness. 1 Corinthians chapter 2. Paul is confronting the Corinthians really about their desire to avoid the difficulties that come with the gospel because of the cross of Christ. They have become fascinated with po 
popular wisdom of their day. Now listen to what Paul says to them. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, beginning in verse 1. And I, when I came to you, brothers, did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom. For I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and much trembling. And my speech and my message were not implausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power, so that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. As I said, the Corinthians had become fascinated with philosophies and systems of thought that seemed so very intelligent, very wise and logical. These were systems that their culture called wisdom. These ideas were housed in polished, in polished rhetoric. They were very persuasive. And when the Corinthians heard these, this polished rhetoric and this, these persuasive styles of speech and the content that was so, so winsome, they remembered the preaching of Paul and it sounded so harsh and uncouth to them. But it wasn't just style. It was that the lofty speech and the plausible words avoided the offense of the cross in both its contents and its methods. Paul reminds them that his entire proclamation centered on the cross exclusively. I knew nothing among you but the cross. I wasn't trying to take any other angle. I didn't just kind of mention the cross as part of the package. I centered on it. And he reminds them that he refused to rely on human methods to persuade them. He didn't try to make the cross logical. He didn't try to make Jesus, the promised Messiah, being crucified as a criminal, something that was palatable to everybody. No, he didn't do that because ideas and methods that originate from people, from human beings, do not transform lives. They don't change anybody. They don't save anybody. Faith that rests in the power of God brings people from death to life. And only the preaching of the cross demonstrates the spirit and power. Why is any other preaching ineffective? It has no power. Why does no other preaching have power? Because it is not empowered by the spirit of God. And why must the Spirit be the one who converts men and women to faith in Jesus Christ, a crucified King? Well, Paul explains why in the next paragraph here, 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 7. We impart a secret and hidden wisdom of God, which God decreed before the ages for our glory. None of the rulers of this age understood this, for if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. But as it is written, 
what no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined, what God has prepared for those who love him. These things God has revealed to us through his Spirit. And here again, Paul appeals to the fact that the Spirit of God has revealed a secret and hidden wisdom of God, his divine plans. And they were hidden from us, but they were decreed by God before the ages. In other words, before creation, before time began, God had already determined his sovereign course of action, how he was going to save. It was decreed then, it has been revealed now. And more importantly, Paul makes the point that it is impossible that that the messenger, even the messenger himself, could ever uncover this design, could somehow ever come up with this message, this, this gospel about a crucified Savior, could ever just kind of fabricate that or see that in the scriptures and say, you know what, that's what the scriptures mean. That's what God had decreed. How could the messenger himself ever do that? He could never somehow comprehend God's plans to save or his methods for saving people. It requires the Spirit of God to reveal it. Verse 10, For the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. For who knows a person's thoughts except the Spirit of that person which is in him? so also no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. Now we, these are the apostles, the bearers of this revealed wisdom, we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given us by God. So, the message is revealed by the Spirit of God, and the messengers themselves have received the Spirit who is from God. This is really important. To understand the gospel requires not just receiving revelation from the Spirit, but receiving the Spirit himself. That's what Paul says. It is the revelation from the Spirit and the presence of the Spirit that empower gospel preaching and make it effective to the hearers of that gospel. This is what he goes on to say now in verse 13. And we impart this in words not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the Spirit, interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual, or probably the better way to render this phrase is interpreting spiritual truths with spiritual words or spiritual thoughts. The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him, and he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. So, the Holy Spirit must enable a person to, to be spiritual, to receive 
or accept these spiritual things from the Spirit of God. That's the only way. The natural person, that is a person who does not have the Spirit, but only merely has themselves. That's the natural person. The natural person does not accept what the Spirit has revealed because the gospel is what to him? Folly. It's just folly. Now listen, when I say that the Holy Spirit reveals the gospel, I mean that he conducts the entire transaction of faith. The Holy Spirit conducts the entire work of your conversion and my conversion. The Holy Spirit reveals the word of God, the gospel. The Holy Spirit exerts divine power through the preaching of that word. And through that preaching, the Holy Spirit works in the heart of the hearer to enable him or her to see the truth of the gospel and believe it, to embrace it by faith. Without the Holy Spirit piercing our spiritual blindness, we only hear something ridiculous when we hear the gospel. Listen, this is why we don't try to key in here at Crossway. We don't key in on uh, super methodologies of getting people and trying to manipulate people, trying to get confessions of faith and those kinds of things. It is why we simply present the gospel. It is only the Spirit of God who can change someone anyway. You can't do it. I can't do it. That doesn't mean we shouldn't, we shouldn't pursue people or be persuasive with our words or ever use reasoning to present the gospel. But the gospel's power does not depend upon your style, it doesn't depend on my ability to articulate something. No, ultimately, it's the Holy Spirit who does the work. And that's, that's good news for us. That's good news for me. It means he can use any and all of us to convict those who don't know Christ with the gospel. Because he has to do that work. It is this revealing work that brings about conviction, which is what Jesus promised that the Spirit would do, wasn't it? In John chapter 16, verse 8, he would convict the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment. That's what Jesus said. Paul, in fact, reminds the Thessalonian church in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, beginning in verse 4, he reminds them of their experience when he came to Thessalonica and preached the gospel. For we know, brothers, loved by God, that he has chosen you because our gospel came to you not only in word, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction. You know what kind of men we proved to be among you for your sake, and you became imitators of us and of the Lord, for you received the word in much affliction, with the joy of the Holy Spirit. Paul is saying, remember, we know, we look back and we know that you were chosen by God, that God chose you because God did a sovereign work 
Our gospel came to you, not just in word, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit with full conviction. Paul is saying when we preach the word, the Holy Spirit powerfully convicted you. He stripped those blinders off. We sing a, an old spiritual here at Crossway, don't we? I saw the light. I saw the light. I saw the light. No more darkness, no more night. What that song is getting at when we talk about seeing the light is the light of the gospel. We don't just see it of our own wills. It is revealed to us. The Spirit convicts us. The Spirit takes the blinders off and enables us to see the cross, the gospel, and our own sin for what it really is. And isn't this work of the Spirit what we see taking place in Acts chapter 2? Peter receives the Spirit. Peter is filled with the Spirit. And then he preaches the gospel empowered by the Spirit. And the audience, the hearers, how do they respond? We're told in Acts chapter 2 verse 37, where it says that when they heard this, they were cut to the heart. That is an expression describing their conviction. That was the revealing work of the Holy Spirit, which then produced repentance and faith. They were baptized and received the Holy Spirit themselves. That's what was going on there. The Holy Spirit then restores us to God by opening our hearts and our minds to recognize the truth of the gospel. He enables us to accept it by faith and receive the Spirit. So yes, it's our faith, but that faith never happens if the Holy Spirit does not take the blinders off our eyes. That is conversion, receiving the Spirit. That is becoming a Christian. The Holy Spirit must do this if we are to be saved, if we are to be restored to God, which leads us to the next glorious truth. The Holy Spirit restores us to God by regenerating us. He restores us to God through regeneration. This word regeneration is the Holy Spirit's work of giving us new life. Giving us new life. And really, understanding regeneration begins with understanding our spiritual condition apart from the Holy Spirit giving us new life. What are we like if the Holy Spirit doesn't give us new life? Why does being restored to God require new life? The scriptures tell us that we are dead in our trespasses and sins. That's Ephesians chapter 2 verse 1. Colossians chapter 2 verse 13 tells us that we are dead in our trespasses and in the uncircumcision of our flesh. Which is a phrase talking about that we're not transformed. We are still in our sin and our self-centeredness. Romans 1 verse 21 tells us that our hearts are darkened. According to Ephesians 5 verse 8, we are darkness. When promising the new covenant, 
through Ezekiel the prophet, the Lord describes our condition as having hearts of stone. That's Ezekiel chapter 26, verse 36. That's not a pretty picture of the human race. In fact, it's directly contradictory to almost everything our world says about humanity. Isn't the message of our world that humanity is essentially good? That we're, that we're really good people who do bad things and make mistakes, but we can always be turned we're essentially good. That's why we always run into real problems as, a, as the human race when we come across somebody who, a serial killer, or someone like a dictator who tries to wipe out an entire race of people. How do we explain that level of evil? The reality is that we as a whole, every individual and the human race as a whole, is in a condition of darkness, dead, spiritual death. This is our spiritual condition. And listen, spiritually dead and darkened people cannot bring themselves to life. Spiritually dead people cannot give themselves spiritual life any more than we can discern the truth of the gospel by our own wisdom. We can't do it. We are completely incapable. This is the doctrine of total depravity. That left to ourselves, we have no capacity to love God, to turn to him, to exercise faith, to even see the gospel for what it really is. And we have to understand that if we're going to understand what the Holy Spirit does when he regenerates us, when he gives us new life. It is because of our condition that we must be given new life by God the Spirit. Now, sometimes the Bible uses an expression like made alive. I'll give you a couple of examples here. Ephesians chapter 2 verses 4 and 5. But God, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. And again in Colossians chapter 2 verse 13, and you, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses. Or take 2 Corinthians chapter 5 verse 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. These verses are all talking about God's work of regeneration, bringing us from death to life, recreating us from something old to something new. He gives us new life. But perhaps the New Testament's clearest teaching on the new life is found in the imagery of being born again being reborn, the new birth. These are the words that Jesus himself uses to explain regeneration, and Jesus declares it to be specifically the work of the Spirit. Now, many of you know this account found in the Gospel of John, chapter 3. A Pharisee named Nicodemus comes to Jesus under the cover of night for a secret conversation. He doesn't want his Pharisee 
compatriots to know that he's going to visit Jesus. And so he comes under the, the cover of darkness. And he says to him in John chapter 3, beginning of verse 2, Rabbi, teacher, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And I think Jesus' answer reveals what's behind Nicodemus's question, or what he says here, what, his statement about, we know that you couldn't do these things. They've been seeing Jesus do wonders and miracles and signs. We know that you couldn't do these things unless God is with you. And Jesus is saying, what you really are after here, Nicodemus, is getting at whether or not I am bringing the kingdom of God. Am I the Messiah? Am I the one who's promised? And instead of saying to Nicodemus, what? Instead of saying to Nicodemus, that's pretty perceptive of you, Nicodemus. You've put it together correctly. Jesus instead makes a statement that says, you can't get it. You can't really understand it. Because unless one is born again, Unless he has been given new life, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Now, Nicodemus doesn't understand this. He only understands it on a very shallow plane. Verse 4, Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? And we know that's not what Jesus means. So Jesus explains, verse 5, Jesus answered, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. And when Jesus says, born of, the, of water and the Spirit, he is referring to the Spirit's cleansing work when giving us new life. That this new life is, involves a cleansing, a renewal. He is reminding Nicodemus of Ezekiel chapter 36, verses 25 and 26. I will sprinkle clean water on you and you shall be clean from all your uncleannesses, and from all your idols I will cleanse you, and I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you, and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and, uh, from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. It's amazing, isn't it, how frequently Ezekiel chapter 20, uh, 36 keeps coming up when it comes to the Holy Spirit's work in the New Covenant and this work of regeneration. This is what Ezekiel was prophesying. This is one of those prophecies that Peter was talking about in 1 Peter chapter 1 that Ezekiel didn't understand. This transcended Ezekiel's comprehension. It's for us to look back. And Jesus knows that Nicodemus knows this passage. He's, he's a student of the Bible. He's an expert in the Old Testament scriptures. And he's saying, 
don't you understand? And he's making a link. Don't you understand, Nicodemus, that for someone to enter the kingdom, to see it for what it really is, to know who I really am, Nicodemus, they must be born again. Water and the Spirit. Ezekiel chapter 36, Nicodemus. They must be cleansed by a work of God and have the Spirit put within them. Jesus is saying that the coming of the Spirit is the key. It is the Spirit's work to give new life, to give new birth. So this regeneration then is to be given a heart of flesh. That's what the new covenant is talking about. That's what this weird heart of stone, heart of flesh, spiritual dead, spiritually dead, spiritually alive. The Holy Spirit does that work. And when he says here, the wind blows where it wishes, you hear its sound, but you don't know. He's talking about the sovereign workings of the Spirit that are beyond our tracking. We can see the evidence of it. We can see people's lives changed. But that work is done by the Spirit, by his own sovereign will. Right? Now, Paul explains even more about this work of regeneration in Titus chapter 3, beginning in verse 4. This is a really important passage. Listen to what Paul writes here. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, he saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. Wow, that is a packed several verses, isn't it? And the key here is that the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared. He saved us. How did he save us? was not by our own works, not by our own initiative, not by our own super perception into the ways of God and how he has provided. No, but according to his own mercy, sovereign mercy. And how did he do it? By the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, meaning that it is the Spirit of God who washes us and cleanses us. So this, this bringing us from death to life, this regeneration involves a cleansing, a doing away with sin and guilt. Wow. Being made alive in Christ, being brought from spiritual death to spiritual life means being cleansed from all guilt and all sin. It is the Holy Spirit who does this. And notice verse 6, whom he poured out on us richly. When did that happen? Acts chapter 2, Pentecost. He poured out the Spirit richly through Jesus Christ, our Savior. And is that it is that which makes us heirs according to the hope of eternal life. Now think about what that phrase means when we talk about regeneration. This new life is an indestructible life. It cannot be destroyed. So this new life being regenerated 
is being given eternal life. When the Bible tells us that we have eternal life, it does not just mean that we will get eternal life or experience eternal life when we die. What it means is that we now have been given a life that is indestructible and therefore it is eternal. Now look at what the Apostle Peter, we're going to turn back to Peter here. 1 Peter chapter 1, beginning in verse 22. Now in chapter 1, by the way, verse 3, Peter says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has, who has caused us to be born again into a living hope. So Peter's already introduced this concept, this truth, that we are born again. We've been given a new life. And he talks about then that it's an imperishable hope. It's an eternal hope. It can't, it can't be killed. It can't be taken away. It can't be destroyed. Now, in later in chapter 1, verse 22, he says this, Love one another earnestly from a pure heart, since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable now let's pause right there. Peter says, love one another earnestly from a pure heart. And the capacity for us to love each other earnestly comes from the fact that we have new life, that we have been born again, that we are regenerate people. And that we are, this regeneration means that uh, we are imperishable. That seed that has been planted in us, this new life that's grown, is imperishable. It can't be destroyed. And therefore, we have the capacity to love one another earnestly from a pure heart. Now, here's what's interesting. Peter doesn't mention the Spirit here. He mentions the Word. Look again. But of imperishable through the living an abiding word of God. And when we think of word, we usually think of the scriptures and the Bible. Peter specifies here, and this word is the good news that was preached to you. So we're come back full circle then, don't we? To what we began this morning. That this good news being preached is the word. It is the Spirit working through the, the imperishable Word. That imperishable Word, the Gospel, is the seed that takes root in our hearts and our lives that gives us eternal life, indestructible life. So this work of regeneration is a work of the Spirit because... He convicts us of the truth of the gospel, takes the gospel and empowers it to transform us and to bring us from spiritual death to spiritual life. That's all we have time for today. So next week we'll come back and we'll continue by, by looking at what the Bible has to say about the Spirit indwelling us and sealing us. Because just as the Holy Spirit reveals the gospel, convicts us as hearers of the gospel, and enables us to embrace it by faith, and gives us new life, regenerates us, so the Spirit comes to abide in us and preserve us for God. Do you know God? Are you a believer? 
then you have been brought from death to life because of the power of the gospel and the Spirit's convicting, life-giving work in your life. And if you're not, listen, this is the promise that is offered to you. If you're not a believer, then this is the promise that's offered to you. New life. Only the Holy Spirit can convict your heart and enable you to see it and embrace it by faith. I'll pray for us, and then we'll worship some more. Holy Spirit, may it be that you would strengthen your people with these truths that it is you who have revealed the gospel. It is you who have enabled us to see the truth of the gospel, who you really are, Lord Jesus, what the cross really means, and that by that proclamation, Spirit, you have given us new life. We are no longer dead in our trespasses, dead in our sins. We have been made alive to God. You have brought us to life and you have cleansed us. You have removed all guilt, every last stain of it. And for that, we give you praise and honor today. Amen. Amen.